Welcome to Psyche Magic, a podcast about waking up to the subconscious via our nocturnal dreams. I'm your host, Jordan Hale. I'm a psychotherapist based in Nashville, Tennessee. Together, we'll learn to befriend the unknown and her deep well of wisdom. While aspects of this podcast may feel therapeutic, it is never meant to take the place of therapy. Welcome back to Psyche Magic. For this episode, I thought we might try something a little different. I wanted to do a deeper dive and discuss one of my favorite childhood films, The Wizard of Oz. Growing up, I was particularly drawn towards this story. There are tales of me sitting in my high chair as a small child, Uh, probably around the age of one or two, so very young, eating Cheerios one by one on my little plastic table tray and being completely enraptured by this film. The movie would end and I would ask to watch it again immediately. I could watch this movie over and over, day after day, and I did. My family jokes that this film is built into the foundations of the grooves of my brain, and they're not wrong. I ask myself why I was so drawn to this type of story. There are themes and images in this movie that one could say are pretty terrifying for a child. But my hunch is that I was responding to an imprint and that the collective unconscious was being activated for me as I watched this epic tale. This type of film shaped me and my feminist temperament. The collection of movies that I look back on that were so important to me that I now realize were deeply feminist in their messaging. Movies like Legally Blonde. (laughs) Movies like Miss Congeniality. These were stories about women who pursued their own visions, their own dreams, and who didn't need a man to do that for them. The Wizard of Oz is similar. There's no romantic love in this tale. She's on her own journey. Since 1939, when this movie came out, there have been many waves of feminism. And nowadays, we see more children's movies like Frozen that have borrowed this concept But at the time, I can see how this kind of story of a woman pursuing her own power could be really powerful and even transgressive. Having all of these feminist steeped messages swirling around in my unconscious, along with all of the Disney princesses and purity culture that would come later, probably ended up creating balance, helping to feed my soul and keep my own internal spark alive. The Wizard of Oz was not a box office hit. 
Despite critical acclaim, the movie was slow in terms of box office numbers. However, it did experience a resurgence at the approach of television in the 50s. So every year at Halloween, this movie would be aired on TV and it became an annual holiday classic in many family households. Another reason I want to discuss this film is that it is one of the most rich and epic dream sequences of all time. Dorothy slumbers after being hit in the head during the terrifying tornado and only awakens at the end to realize that it was all a dream. And yet she is forever changed nonetheless. This film is also an excellent example of a female iteration of the hero's journey. This is a common template of stories that involve a hero who embarks on an adventure, is victorious in some sort of decisive crisis, and then returns home changed or transformed. This idea was popularized by Joseph Campbell in his book, The Power of Myth, in 1949. During this episode, we'll talk about both of these aspects. The Wizard of Oz as the ultimate dream sequence, as well as the Wizard of Oz and its place in terms of mythology, all of which are steeped in feminist concepts. The film's treatment of the archetype of the witch is seminal and we will discuss its cultural implications. I also can't resist touching on the musical adaptation of Wicked, so we've got plenty of interesting tidbits ahead. The hero's journey involves a hero venturing forth from the world of the common day or the mundane into a region of supernatural wonder, where fabulous forces are encountered and some sort of victory is claimed. The hero must return from this mysterious adventure with the power to bestow his knowledge on his fellow man. Or should I say, her knowledge. The Wizard of Oz follows the steps of the hero's journey, and of course, there are 12. Step one is the world of the mundane, the ordinary world. This is notably marked with the film being in sepia tone for the opening sequence of act one. During this sequence, we notice that no one is listening. Dorothy, our main character, is consistently frustrated as she's trying to communicate and connect with the people around her, but the adults in her world are busy and they don't have time for her flights of fancy. The sepia tone marks a world that is feeling unfulfilling, uninspired, disconnected, and lonely. That sort of childhood loneliness is such a familiar ache for so many of us. A child's work is consistently attempting to bring their parents and loved ones into the present moment with them. Becoming more of a distinct and complex battle ever more these days. 
Our main character, our heroine, Dorothy, is dreaming of a place where she can feel fulfilled and her dreams can come true. A place where there isn't any trouble or worry. A place that potentially lies somewhere over the rainbow. While the song was indeed beautiful, the studio initially worried that it was too slow and that it disrupted the tone of the film. However, one of the producers, as well as Judy Garland's vocal coach, persuaded them to keep the song in the film. Somewhere Over the Rainbow deeply initiates us into Dorothy's inner world and bonds us further to the character. This song marked the hero's wish, the longing embedded underneath what would become their epic journey. Step two is the call to action and adventure. This is marked by the tornado, which is a symbol of destruction and lack of control. A child's world can often feel this way. A child lacks the autonomy to be able to make their own decisions and take care of themselves. Their world can often feel swirling and scary. The tornado comes, and this marks a moment of upheaval. In tarot, we might call this a tower moment. Where the tower falls, any unshaky and unstable foundation of our lives is disrupted, and we have no choice but to look ahead and rebuild. When Dorothy wakes up, she enters the world of Technicolor, the mysterious and fantasy land, and discovers that the Wicked Witch of the East has died from Dorothy's house crushing her. Step three, and this is a very important step. The hero must initially refuse to heed the call to action. This speaks to the human impulse of fear of the unknown. The lack of confidence and belief in oneself to trust that we could be up to this kind of journey. When Dorothy has the infamous ruby slippers bestowed upon her from Glinda the Good Witch, who we'll talk more about, her initial reaction is that she can't be the chosen one, not little old me. I don't want the power. I don't want to be the savior. I just want to go back to the way things were. Indeed, there is comfort in complacency. Step four, enter the mentor or the wise person. In this case, floating from the sky in her pink bubble glides Glinda, the good witch. Glinda's belief in Dorothy, even when she can't quite believe in herself, is what really sparks the hero's journey and cascades it into motion. Glinda will appear along the way to encourage Dorothy throughout her story to be her mascot and her champion. We all need someone to believe in us. Step five is crossing the threshold. 
This marks the transition from the sepia tone into technicolor, a fairly new technique at the time that no doubt dazzled audiences in and of itself. The yellow brick road is another transitory function of the film, representing what Buddhists would call the golden path towards enlightenment. We know that L. Frank Baum was heavily influenced by these ideas, which we'll discuss more later in this story. Step six, tests, enemies, and allies. Dorothy meets her three friends and cohorts, the Scarecrow, the Tin Man, and the Cowardly Lion. These friends serve as parallel guides and are marked by characters from Act One, which happens so often in dreams. Characters from our lives are recast, given new faces and new names, but remain familiar to us nonetheless. These four embark on a series of challenges interrupted by the Wicked Witch of the West at every turn. Fireballs and sleep spells abound, but they dodge each and every curveball that she throws at them and finally make it to step seven, the approach to the inmost cave. This is where the characters finally arrive at the Emerald City of Oz, where they have been told the great and powerful Oz will help them return home. But the adventure isn't over yet. Step eight marks the ordeal. This is exemplified by the characters having a final showdown with the Wicked Witch defeating her and bringing her broom back to Oz as requested. It is notable that in this defeat, there is freedom from slavery for the munchkins, as well as the Wicked Witch's cohort of flying monkeys and guards of her castle. Step nine comes the reward. Each character receives their prize From the great and powerful Oz, the Scarecrow receives his diploma and realizes he had a brain and was smart all along. The Tin Man receives his heart token and is reminded of his kind and loving acts throughout his story. The Lion receives his medal, and understands that he has been courageous throughout this journey, even when he was afraid. Step 10 is the road back home. There must be a final challenge for the main character. In this case, Oz takes flight in his air balloon without Dorothy. All hopes for returning home have been dashed against the rocks. Dorothy is terrified and has no idea what to do next. Step 11 is the resurrection or the climax. This is the final test in which the character's lesson must be integrated. Enter Glinda, 
who reminds Dorothy that she has held the power all along to take herself home. Dorothy clicks her heels and gives birth to her intention. She repeats the incantation, there's no place like home. Finally, step 12 is the return. The hero is home and is forever transformed. There is new appreciation for her family and her home life. Each of the characters realized that they had what they were seeking within them all along. Dorothy always had the power to go home, but she had to find it out for herself. We are left with her poignant end quote. If I ever go looking for my heart's desire again, I won't look any further than my own backyard. Because if it isn't there, I never lost it to begin with. Such wisdom. Her subconscious brought her on this journey into her true potential. And she emerges forever changed. Her dream has provided her with a spiritual, experiential, and embodied experience that will stay with her. There are some very interesting feminist themes throughout this story. We had two good witches, one in the North and one in the South. L. Frank Baum and his wife Maud were prominent theosophists. This was a 19th century Gnostic religious movement that brought Eastern mystical thought to the West. His mother-in-law was also suffragist, abolitionist, and equal rights pioneer, Madeline Jocelyn Gage. Theosophy refers to the revelation of ultimate truth behind all world religions by lifting the veil of illusion, distinction, and separation. L. Frank Baum says of his story, quote, It was pure inspiration. It came to me right out of the blue. I think that sometimes the great author had a message to get across, and he was to use me as the instrument at hand. Unquote. In Madeline Jocelyn Gage's treatise from 1893, entitled Woman, Church, and State, she writes that the subjugation of women happening in her time was comparable to the European witch hunts. She believed that the witches of Western Europe were persecuted because their wisdom was a threat to the patriarchal church. While this was merely a thesis, it became a powerful reframe that offered a more nuanced perspective of the concept of the witch as a powerful form of othering and raised questions about the ways those in power might benefit from doing so. Kristen J. Soleil writes, quote, Gage embraced a reclamation of the divine feminine as her spiritual practice, 
and is the first known suffragist to reclaim the word witch. Without Gage, witches might still be viewed as solely evil in popular culture. The Wizard of Oz, knowingly or unknowingly, created a societal ripple in terms of the view of the archetype of the witch. For the first time, witches were not just bad, they could also be good. Pam Grossman, in her seminal book, Waking the Witch, describes the juxtaposition between the two witch characters in the movie as follows, quote, MGM's version of Glinda set the template for an on-screen witch who was not only good, but beautiful to boot. She was played by film and stage star Billy Burke. Notably, Burke was 54 years old when she shot Oz, nearly 20 years older than Margaret Hamilton, who played the hideous hag, the Wicked Witch of the West. In the film, Glinda and the nameless Wicked Witch are set up as the ultimate dichotomy. Glinda is a living confection, ecstatic in star-spangled pink, part fairy, part flamingo. Her preferred method of transportation is flotation, and when she shows up in a shimmering soap bubble, all trills and ruffles, we know immediately that she is a benevolent being. She has a starry scepter and wears a crown evocative of Mary, Queen of Heaven. Glinda, then, is no less a saint. Celestial, airy, and a stickler for elocution. She is girlish and glistening. More than that, she is a mother figure, a guardian, a giver. She is kindness in full bloom. The Wicked Witch of the West is her diametric opposite. Angular and shrouded in black, she greets us in a cophony of screech and caw. She is a woman inflamed, a creature of fire and desire with her libidinous laugh and hard-on for scarlet slippers. Her movement isn't float, it's flight. Arrow direct forward motion, broom between her legs, leaving a trail of smoke behind. She is living singe all freedom and speed and scorch. Even at the beginning of the film, in her guise as her doppel, the mean Miss Gulch, she rides a bicycle, a rather independent activity for a woman of the 1930s. Unlike her rosy-hued, hermetically sealed counterpart, this witch feels the air on her skin as she rides but she is also a thonic character, queen of an upside-down underworld living in a gray castle on top of a mountain range that resembles a row of jagged teeth. The Wicked Witch's skin is a lurid green, evocative of poison and envy and plague. Her pea pallor and overall color palette is 
tell us that she is a sickening deliverer of death, unquote. There was a beautiful appearance by Margaret Hamilton, who played the Wicked Witch of the West, on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood in 1975. She had this to say about her character, quote, Sometimes the children feel that she is a very mean witch, and I expect she does seem that way. But I always think that there are two things about her. She does enjoy everything she does, whether it's good or bad, she enjoys it. But she is also what we sometimes refer to as frustrated. She's very unhappy because she never gets what she wants. Unquote. Indeed, perhaps the Wicked Witch represents female delight and female desire which are often so demonized in our popular culture. Pam Grossman goes on to say, quote, We call witch any woman who wants, unquote. I would be remiss if I did not discuss the adaptation of Gregory Maguire's 1995 novel, Wicked, The Life and Times of the Wicked Witch of the West, into Broadway's Wicked. One of the most successful and enduring Broadway musicals of all time. Wicked goes on to expound upon the story of the Wicked Witch's character and served to further break down the illusory good-bad binary. I like to think this indicates we have become a bit more tolerant and accustomed to nuance as a culture. Now again, I'm drawing pretty heavily on Pam Grossman's book Waking the Witch here, so be sure to go and check that out. In Wicked, the Wicked Witch is given a name, Alphaba, which is an homage to L. Frank Baum's initials. We learn that she is a child of deep distress and trauma, a child of rape. Her mother was a drug addict, her adoptive father a zealot, her green skin a source of deep shame. But she is also a gifted scholar and defender of the oppressed. She has suffered unbearable loss. And yet, Maguire's revisioning of her tale asks us to consider the possibilities of factors that can turn any hero into a villain. In her book, Lights, Camera, Witchcraft, Heather Green writes, quote, she is a monstrous feminine, not because of an extenuated display of sexuality or attention to beauty, but rather because of an internal power and the willingness to use it to disrupt the conventional. The Wicked Witch's powers to wreak destruction on the community are reframed as reactions to a corrupt government and unfair social order, unquote. These stories have solidified the archetype of the witch as being worthy of main character status for generations to come. When I think about this story, 
I think about a tarot card that I pulled recently that feels relevant. The Five of Pentacles. In this card, two characters are trudging through a snowy scene, dragging their feet on crutches, rags tattered over their freezing cold bodies. Behind them is an illuminated stained glass window with five pentacles stacked in a pyramid. For me, this card is about the illusion of separation and the damage that we do when we categorize human beings into us versus them. These characters are rejected from society. They are cast out. The warm blankets and hot meals that presumably lie behind the stained glass window are not accessible to them. In the illusion of the other, there is always oppression. The theosophical and Gnostic ideologies behind the Wizard of Oz seek to teach us an additional layer of meaning that we in fact are not separate, that we inherently are divine, that we actually have everything we need. In the interconnection lies our purpose. Joseph Campbell echoes the synthesis of Dorothy's lesson as he writes, quote, Eternity isn't some later time. Eternity isn't even a long time. Eternity has nothing to do with time. And if you don't get it here, you won't get it anywhere. Unquote. The wisdom that these characters have gained is being able to touch the eternity within. Being able to find contentment, fortitude, and strength in the present moment, in the self, just as it is. Finding contentment and fulfillment in the here and now. It's no coincidence that in dreams, time as we know it breaks down. The illusion is shattered and we're able to explore the full landscape of emotion and experience unbound by time and space. I often have dreams where I'm trying to get home while there could be a larger spiritual case to be made. I believe that one aspect of these dreams is a reminder to come home to the self regularly, to draw my attention to the ways and shapes and shades and circumstances in which I routinely abandon myself, my needs, my knowing, my truth. Indeed, going home is going within. Returning home is learning to trust. That's a wrap for this episode. If you're enjoying the show, 
please take a moment now to subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app of choice. It really makes a difference and helps other people find the show. Do you have questions or a dream you want to share? Please drop me an email at psychemagicpodcast at gmail.com. You can also leave me a voicemail via the link in show notes. I'd love to hear from you and you could be featured on a future episode. You can also follow us on Instagram at psyche underscore magic. Check out my psyche magic playlist on Spotify. The link is in show notes. Psyche magic was produced and recorded by me, Jordan Hale. Editing for this episode is by Misuzu Inaga. Our theme music is by Young Summer. Artwork is by Annika Murphy. Special thanks go to Daniel Higby. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website, www.psychemagicpodcast.com. Psyche Magic is available via Anchor across all podcasting platforms. Thank you so much for listening. I'll leave you with a question. If you must sleep through a third of your life, are you willing to sleep through your dreams too? Get your dream journals out, y'all. Until next time.